Welcome to this week's Dewsbury Gospel Church podcast with Pastor Ward. We believe, you know, that um, things are moving quickly because time is short. And that puts the emphasis on who we are and what we are doing for the kingdom. You know, you should be excited about uh, your position in the body of Christ. You know, church is the greatest force on earth. Amen but it only operates through love. You know, faith is activated through love, and that's what activated God to send His Son. Our God is a God of faith. We are called to have a God-like faith. We are to have the same faith as God, it says. Incredible, isn't it? And yet, because He supplies everything that we need, including faith, it gives us saving grace initially to receive salvation. Um, but he's always encouraging us to, uh, to step out and just believe what he has said in his word. And so we've got exciting things ahead of us, I'm sure of that. God is wanting his church well, and, uh, and we need to see that. We need to see the miracles taking place. Well, we spent 15 months uh, looking at the word gospel uh, in the word of God. I thought I probably covered that maybe in a couple of months when I first looked at that, but you realize that the gospel is, is really what it's all about. It's good news. And so we now uh, return back to studying a book of the Bible. We've done this all over the years. I believe that this is a good way to teach the word of God, not just to pull out certain verses and you know that's easy to do in some ways you can pick out all the nice verses and the things that are exciting but when you have to go through verse by verse you've got to cover everything that God has said but surely that's why he put it there in the first place sometimes you see we think oh well we don't need to look in the old testament because you know we're now in the new well we are but but basically you know uh, the Old Testament really does um, throw light on some of the reasons that we believe the things that we do, and we get these great prophecies like Isaiah, and, and we realize that God was actually speaking thousands of years ago about his love and what he was going to do, even though Adam had sinned in the beginning, that God had a remedy, amen, and uh, he was going to call his son to die for us, as Isaiah 53 records. And uh, I was seeking the Lord and, uh, you know, saying, well, where do we go, um, you know, in the next book? That, uh, and then I got some kind of impression that what he wanted. And I said, no, <laughs> it can't be that, Lord. Uh, um, that just doesn't seem um, to fit somehow. And, uh, but, you know, he's just impressed it so much. He's confirmed it without a doubt in two different ways. So I thought, better do what he says. Doesn't it make sense to do what God tells you to do, even though in the natural you may want to do something else? And, uh, and yet, you know, the Word of God says, don't lean to your own understanding. Let God direct you. Let Him be the one who tells you what to do and how to do it. He loves to do that. But sometimes we dig our heels in and we say, no, we're going to do it our way. And, uh, you know, we may not sing like Frank Sinatra, but you know, to do it my way often is the wrong way. To do it his way is always the right way. Amen. So we're going to look into an interesting book, one that really 
I can't remember saying too much about this over the years, but the book of Jonah. Wow. Now there's an interesting book. And uh, we used to teach the children, of course, about Jonah in our early days when we used to minister like a kid's church. And um, we remember when we got married and we moved from Leeds and we were in a, a very conservative evangelical Baptist church in those days. And God moved us into the town not far from here, into Osset. We attended a church on the day that it was closing down. Would you believe? We went Sunday evening. This church, we didn't know that. We didn't know it was closing. And we sat in this church. It was like 6 o'clock evening service. And uh, we went with two, two friends uh, who also had uh, recently got married, also uh, moved into the area. And um, there we sat. We, we sat on the back pews, I remember. And further up, there were four old ladies, average age, around about 72, I guess. And uh, we sat there. We sat there waiting for the preacher to come. And after about 10 minutes, I said to friends, I said, I'm going to go and find out what's happening here. And it was a big church. It was actually all 700 people in that, that building. And uh, so you can imagine four ladies, old ladies, sat in this big church and no preacher. And I went up and I said, uh, Can you tell me what's happening? Have you got a preacher? And one old lady, bless her, she had a little bit of a beard. She said to me, we might have and we might not. And that was end of conversation. She didn't want to talk anymore. And I went back and they all say, and what did she say? I said, she said, we might have and we might not have a preacher. So another kind of 10 minutes. They were waiting, I think, for somebody to turn up who didn't turn up. And uh, so we, we chatted with them, and we said, do you really want this church to close? And they said, no. This lady, she said, I'm 72 years old, and I have been here since I was a baby. 72 years in that church. It was the first Baptist church in Osset. They called it the first Baptist church in Osset. And um, I said, well... You know, we, uh, we feel there, there was another Baptist church in the town that had quite a reasonable congregation. We had paid a visit, and God clearly said not to go there. And, uh, and there we were. So I could tell you lots of miracles that happened from that night on and how that church kept going. It's still going today, praise God. Still got uh, uh, people going to that church. But praise the Lord, God had got other things for us after five years of working there, but we, we worked amongst the kids, and uh, I asked these ladies, I said, have you got a Sunday school? She said, oh yes. I thought, what? Praise God. I said, how many children have you got coming? She says, one. So I said, well, that's a start. And you know, within a short space of time, we, uh, we, we did a bonfire thing and we invited kids. We, we got about 30, 40 kids straight, straight away. 
and we visited the neighborhood and parents were willing to let their children come. They, they just saw it, we got an hour or two free of our kids. <laughs> you know, it's surprising. You can get children to come to things and parents are often willing to do that. But you know that stirring in our hearts always is the sense that God wants to do far more than we could ever think or conceive. And right now I believe that, and looking at this book, Jonah, and I was thinking, Lord, you know what? We know about Jonah and the whale. We used to teach our kids that. Listen to my tale of Jonah and the whale. Way down in the middle of the ocean. And uh, Evan knows all the words, don't you? But what about Jonah? I mean, we think, well, that guy, he just had problems, didn't he? Major problems. Got angry with God and, and so on. Where does that fit, Lord, today? And then the more, you know, I started looking at this book and thinking about it. It's about revival. And it's about things that we're thinking about today and desiring. And uh, Jonah, you see, there, there was a problem in Israel. And I think it's quite clearly the problem in churches that they had in Israel in the time of Jonah. Because you probably realize that Israel as a people were no special people. God chose Israel to actually take his word and to give it to the world. Because God so loved the world, even in Jonah's day and in the time of Israel. And so they were quite an insignificant people, were Israel. And yet God chose them. But it was always on the basis that he wanted them to respond to his love and for them to see how God would take care of them, meet all of their needs, defeat their enemies. And God proved himself to be true to that, provided that they were obeying his word and and doing the things that he called them to do. But they got into a position as a people where they began to think about themselves and that they were special. And therefore, God wasn't interested in these other nations. And of course, this is where we find with Jonah because Jonah was called by God to do something that really probably blew his mind. You mean you want me to go and preach to our enemies, the Assyrians? These people were the most cruel people you could imagine. And uh, Assyria uh, kind of came to prominence uh, back about, I think it was about kind of 1134 something BC, that, that they, they started as a group of people and and they began to mix with the Babylonians and they began to grow uh, as a people and they became very strong. And so back uh, in the 9th to the 7th century they became a very powerful nation. But they were the arch enemies of Israel. And they were a cruel people. They were the ones who first introduced impaling people on stakes and till they died and they were known for, for their cruelty and here it seems that God comes along if you turn in your Bibles to Jonah it's very easy to find it comes after Obadiah 
And it's just before Micah. But if you get into the minor prophets, you know that there's 12 minor prophets. It's the fifth of the minor prophets, so you can find it quite easily. But it really is an interesting book. We're going to see uh, in this book an amazing working God, a God who shows his heart of love, even for a people that Jonah had real problems with and Israel had great problems with. It's uh, in four chapters and basically it fits nicely into four different stories. It talks in chapter one of Jonah and the storm and then of course Jonah and the fish and uh, Jonah and the city. Nineveh comes into prominence and then of course Jonah and the Lord. So um, I don't know how long this is going to take, maybe five years to get through. (laughs) But there's so much. The first verse of Jonah, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship uh, going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Tarshish was a long way away. And, uh, you know, Jonah was trying to get away from God. And yet the word of the Lord came to him. And maybe... Uh, We've had that experience, or you know someone who's had that same experience. The word of the Lord comes to them. But instead of taking God's word, we begin to go the other direction. We're running away, you know, from the word. And yet God is always drawing us back. He'll always draw you back to the word because it's the word that is going to work for you. It will work salvation to as many as that will believe the gospel. And so we are called to preach the gospel. And so Jonah, you know, the the thing about this is, this book of Jonah, it's an outstanding book about missionary endeavor. And probably in all of the Old Testament, it stands out in that way. It also uh, stands out as a book that gives you the heart of God. And we really do need to know the heart of God in all matters. Most people have problems with God because they don't understand his heart. And they think that he's a God up there somewhere who's out to just punish us and bring judgment. But basically he's there desiring to love us. Yes, he must correct us. And, you know, of course it goes back when we consider the Old Testament, when people just see God as a God who is just coming across people and he destroys them and wipes them out. But God said to Abraham one day, in Genesis 12, 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you can see God's intention in calling Abraham, who was the father of the faith, and we know that from Abraham came Isaac, And then uh, from Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel. So God's intention through Israel was to bless all people, irrespective of who they are or what they have done. So God is choosing 
to send one of his people, Jonah, who was a prophet, to go and speak to the capital city of the Assyrians, Nineveh, and declare his love for them. And Jonah couldn't work that out. I suppose when Jesus came along and he started saying things like, love your enemies, people just, you know, particularly the Pharisees, wouldn't cope with that and why he was rejected. And yet, you know, uh, we find that Jonah, he actually came from a, a village that was just like three, three miles north of Nazareth. I find that quite interesting. That, uh, and probably Jesus, as a little boy, would have heard the stories of Jonah because he actually lived just a few miles north of Nazareth. And he grew up hearing those kind of things. And of course, Jonah is the one prophet that Jesus actually refers to himself about. As Jonah was in the mouth of the fish, you see, three days, he was obviously referring to how he would uh, be buried for three days, and then he would come out. Interesting, isn't it? But the thing about Nazareth is, we, we actually... Uh, when we went to Israel, we went right to the top and we, we kind of looked down uh, towards uh, Nazareth. But Nazareth is actually on a hill itself. And it's situated at what they call basically the crossroads of the continents. And I hadn't realized this until started looking at this aspect of, of where Nazareth was to realize, you know, that most of the ministry of Jesus took place around Galilee. Now, we've been to Galilee. I said to other women who were there, I said, I could live here. It's beautiful. It's the Sea of Galilee there. We actually went out on the boat. Old Fackman preached the gospel while we were in the middle of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful. Sunday afternoon, the sun was shining and gospel being preached. You could look out on the coast there and see all these incredible places. And Jesus, I used to think, maybe that's why Jesus actually preached around Galilee so much. It's such a beautiful place. But you know, the reason I believe now is that he preached there is because you had to go through Galilee to get to Damascus from Egypt. And it was, it was a trade route, you see, and people would pass. So going from Africa up to, like, Damascus, you would, you would go through Galilee. But by the same token, people coming from Europe, going into Arabia, also passed. So it was a crossroads. So it was an international setting. Jesus knew what he was doing in being brought up there. And so the influence and the people was from different cultures. You would meet different people of different types. It's a bit like Dewsbury, isn't it? <laughs> All these people coming into Dewsbury from the different nations, from Pakistan and India and, and so on. And, uh, and you know, God loves them. Is that why he's bringing them in? We might think of it as a negative thing, but we really do have a mission field on our doorstep. We have the, the mosque that is teaching people about Islam every day of the week. We now have a Bible college that is teaching people about Jesus every day of the week. Why is God doing that? Because he loves 
the Muslim people. He really does. And sometimes, you see, believers, they, the reason we got this building was because the Church of England thought that the parish was getting smaller around here. And they reflected on the movement of people coming and living across the road as they do now. And so many of these people, and they, they didn't see the potential that, that, you know, one day God can just cause his people to embrace his love and find the true God. And that's what we, we should be aiming at because, and, and so that's why the more I've looked at this book of Jonah, I thought, wow, this is a book for today. This is telling us of God's love. But, you know, it says there, doesn't it, in that opening verses, that their wickedness came up before God. You see, God sees all of the evil that's going on. I don't know whether you saw in the day, if you got the Daily Mail yesterday, an awful picture there of, uh, it, was, it was a man, it was one of Assad's men had been taken by the rebels and they had brought him out of the crowd and he, they had shown different stages and he eventually was bent over and a guy with a, a sword literally ready to cut his head off. And then there was a picture of probably a couple of hundred children who were all there watching this take place. And that's exactly what they did in front of these little children. Great wickedness. And you see, and God sees all of this. As I say that the Assyrians were one of the wickedest people God sees it. And yet, what is he going to do? He's going to send a prophet to speak to them of his love. And Jonah couldn't cope with that. And so he buys a ticket to Tarshish, which is going over towards Spain. He was getting away from, from this call that God had put upon him. And how many of us can so easily run away from what God is calling us to do? I know for, uh, I call it students, when God calls them to leave their home, in some cases, not everyone has to leave home. Now we've got one in Yorkshire. Uh, but basically, you know, it's a commitment. But there's a calling that, that God puts upon you and you, you can't resist that when God is coming with, your, with his love and, and saying, but I want to use you. I want to teach you things and so on. And then God is doing this more and more. I believe that we're going to see hundreds of people pass through this Bible college. I really do. Because there's a hunger that's rising up in people. And they're prepared to, uh, to do what God has called them to do. But what an interesting book we got before us. You know that there are eight physical miracles that take place in the book of Jonah. Eight Absolute physical miracles. And some of you are believing for miracles. I believe we serve a miracle-working God. You get revival, you get miracles. Great things start taking place. We haven't seen anything yet uh, as to what God wants to do. But we will see these. And, uh, you know, as we go through these verses... You'll see the miracles that take place. One is with a plant. 
incredible miracle. One is with a worm. I mean, it's amazing, you know, that God chooses these kind of things that, you know, how does God do that? Of course, a lot of people question about, could a man get swallowed, you know, by a fish? Well, we'll show you how that's happened. There's a recorded history of that, where that has happened even in our day. Uh, but a lot of people, they, they put this book away, you see. They say, oh, well, you know, it's got to be a fairy tale, hasn't it? And uh, people are not sure whether Jonah himself wrote these things down or some narrator, but I think the bottom line is God has put it in his word. Jesus referred to it. He spoke about it. And Jesus never told a lie. He knows it's true. He was there. He watched it. That was before he was born on the earth. So he saw all of these things. He knew exactly. And then a, an east wind that blows in. And uh, so some of these uh, things just to whet your appetite. But you can see it's only four chapters, so you can easily read through these things. But we will go through these verses and, uh, and see what God said. But the message of the love of God is completely exemplified in Jonah. This is the thing. And some people say you can't find the love of God in the Old Testament. You only read about it in the New. Yes, it's there. You know, God really does love these people. And so uh, the, the very fact of Assyria as a people, as I said, they started in a small way um, and uh, they gradually grew and grew. They dominated the biblical world as a people between the ninth and 7th centuries. They were a powerful force and uh, they actually achieved worldwide dominion uh, as a people. But they were the long-standing enemies of Israel. Nineveh was the capital. And uh, Nineveh is, is actually, um, it was placed on the kind of the uh, east side of the Tigris. You know, the Tigris that runs up, uh, based in northern Iraq. Of course, we're, we're, we're talking about these countries now. And these are the countries that are in the news all the time. Think of Iraq and all that's been happening there. And um, uh, the, 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 the fact of Nineveh as the capital uh, was on the, as I said, on the eastern side, but the, the, the city that's in the news recently is the one that basically is the place where Nineveh was because Nineveh was destroyed um, 600 and something uh, BC. But the, the, the country... Um, now, of course, is um, basically Iraq and going down into Syria. All these countries are in the news. And God is reminding us that um, he's still got things left for these people. He still loves them, irrespective of what we might see and hear. But I was, I was fascinated. Um, I just went and um, I was looking at this city uh, that now is opposite Nineveh because Nineveh kind of... Uh, was destroyed and yet this other city has arisen it's called uh, I don't know how you pronounce it it's M-O-S-U-L Mosul you, you, keep, you hear this on the news all the time it's the third biggest city actually in Iraq after Baghdad and what's the other um, begins with a B that's it 
give that uh, student some uh, uh, merits. So Basra and uh, but and 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 so I read this actually just this morning. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, Lord, you, you've been talking about Nineveh to me and, and about the city of Mosul and uh, and this was a CNN news report this just happened yesterday it says a suicide, a suicide attack north of Mosul Iraq on Saturday that was yesterday killed at least 36 people and wounded 48 others the bomber wearing an explosive vest blew himself up at a funeral of a member of the Shabak an ethnic minority group in the outskirts of Mosul in northern Iraq. The Shabak people are Muslims and 65% of them are Shiite and the remaining 35% Sunni. You know, this is current news and here we are talking about Jonah and Nineveh, the city that is now, because this, this uh, city, Mosul, has is, is actually spread now right across the river. Mosul was, was on the west side of the Tigris. Nineveh was opposite on the other side. But now apparently it's spread right into where Nineveh was. And so when we think of Mosul, that's kind of ancient Nineveh. And uh, it's still actually called the province of Nineveh, interesting, where uh, this place Mosul is. But here we have a suicide bomber just goes in and destroys people. The wickedness continues, doesn't it, of men. And so uh, during this time, uh, we, we realize that this prophet Jonah was raised up. When you read about Nineveh, you have to also consider that the other prophet who uh, ministered to them, Jonah is the only prophet, actually, that ministered to a Gentile city. Nahum was another prophet who was kind of 150 years later than Jonah, but in a way was kind of a contemporary uh, in the sense that they both preached to the Assyrians. You know that Nahum is actually... The, the town of Capernaum, which is in the northern side of Galilee, was named after Nahum. Caper uh, means village, and Nahum, so Capernaum, is the village of Nahum. Interesting, isn't it? You know, This is good for Bible college students. <laughs> you know, you get geography and history and everything thrown in, you see, and... But it, it, you know, it brings the word alive. You know, we always say, you, you take a trip to Israel. And my goodness, when you see the places physically that you've read about in the New Testament, or even in the Old Testament, things really come alive. And we just were so thankful when we went to Israel. And, and, and so now, when you're reading the accounts that have taken place in the Gospels, we've been to Capernaum. You know, we walked through those, those streets. And, uh, and so you've got a visual thing of these places. And um, it brings everything alive. But, but sometimes, you know, when we read our Bible, sometimes we, we probably miss an awful lot by not just digging a little bit deeper into uh, understanding the history and the geography of the place and to realize who these people were and how they came to prominence. And then 
you know, because of their wickedness. Ultimately, you see, um, and what Nahum did, he actually prophesied about Nineveh. And literally, within just a couple of years, maybe less than that, of him prophesying that Nineveh would be just taken out, it happened. And they say within five years of Nineveh falling that the whole of the Assyrian Empire had been dissipated, it had gone within five years. That was quite something. But the word of God then came through Nahum. Uh, They had an opportunity through Jonah. God was giving them time as he does. You know, and of course, when you share the gospel with people, you don't know how much time they've got. It can go pretty quick these days. Sudden heart attack or whatever, and that person's gone. And so God says, take the opportunity. And you might think, well, I don't know about these people. They're, they're just awful people. Uh, why should I tell them? Well, because God loves them. Yeah. Amen. We can write, you know, these Muslims off. I was talking to a lady yesterday after the prayer meeting. And uh, I was saying, you know, um, we, we had uh, our first bookshop manager... He, uh, he decided he was going to buy a house in Dewsbury. He came from uh, further south. And he, he came and told me where he was going. I said, do you realize that that is a Muslim street? He's, I said, yeah. He said, yes. He said, that's where I'm going. I said, well, praise God. You know, most people would stay away. He literally was the only white person in that street. And this number 13, Hartley Street, had come up for sale. I remember it well. And you know that the day that he started moving in, his next door neighbor came, knocked on his door, said, we've got a meal for you. Would you like to come? Certainly not a meal that I would have chosen, but, and he gladly took it up. He said they became the best neighbors you could have. He said you could even leave your door open in that street. People were looking after it. But you know, within a short space of time, he had those children watching the Jesus video in his house. They trusted him. And he told me an amazing story of how one day he was walking through Artley Street and this little old lady, she was weeping and weeping and weeping in the street. And he just went to her and he said, can I help you? You know, what's the matter with you? And she said, it's my son. And that's all she could say. It's my son. And he says, well, what about your son? And she said, he committed murder. He killed someone. And he's in prison over in, I think it was Suffolk somewhere. A long way away. Norfolk, was it? A long way away. At least four hours drive. Boring drive. Out that way. It's all flat. I like hills and mountains. And he said, uh, well can't somebody take you to see him I mean that was a point she hadn't seen him for some years and she said I I just want to see him and poor lady was heartbroken and she said no nobody will take me and none of the Muslim uh, family would take her I think because of what he'd done and he just said to her I will take you and he drove her there one day and drove her back along distance he just kind of stayed in the car while he she paid a visit but that made such a 
you know, message to those people. But he did it because he just loved Muslim people and he was there to share the gospel with them. And uh, I believe that God has got such a love for them. You know, because a lot of them are so sincere and yet we know that there are those who are committing these atrocious things but no different to what we find here in the Word of God and God loves them and he's sending Jonah to give the love of God to them and saying, go preach this message to them that if they repent and of course we can't go through all what happened but one thing, you know, the, the name Jonah, I was looking at this, the name Jonah means either dove or pigeon. I decided it was more pigeon than dove. Um, but in our, in our garden, we, we have a, like a, a kind of a birdhouse. We put seed in there. We have all the little birds coming and they, every morning we're having our breakfast and they're having their breakfast and you know, get the blue tits and uh, all these uh, little thrushes or whatever. And then the pigeons turn up. Well, I've got an ongoing fight with the pigeons because that seed is not for the pigeons, it's for the little birds. You know, God says in his word, see how the birds get fed, you see, and uh, uh, they, they, don't, uh, they don't have to do anything for that. They get me to buy food for them and put it out. So God's provision, even for the little birds. But it's a reminder always that... that as I feed the birds, you'll feed me. Amen. So, uh, things we have to do. But, you see, where my study is, I look straight out onto this bird tree house. And uh, I can be there, you know, just uh, looking out to the window, and then I see this pigeon. Well, there's lots of pigeons that come now, and big fat pigeons. And uh, where, where this, this kind of birdhouse is, uh, where they can feed, it's a very narrow ledge. And so you see, and the pigeons do everything they can to get onto that ledge. And sometimes the smaller pigeons have managed to get on, and I'm there watching, I've got to do something. So I start putting things in their way, things across so that they can't land. And then they... they and I'm telling you, they, they will spend 10, 15 minutes and you can see them thinking, how can I get, can I get round that way? And, and, and so this goes on and, and then they'll find a way in. I think, done it again. And so I've got to come up with another. Thing. So the pigeon is always there, you know. And so and I just thought, yeah, John was a bit of a pigeon, really. He was, he was just trying to work out things his way and now he could, you know, get away from what God was calling him to do. And, uh, and so we, uh, he's, he's going to take a boat to, to get away from, from God's call. And, and we would say that basically that's kind of willful disobedience. And sometimes we have to confess that maybe we have been guilty of that, not obeying what God has told us to do. You mean I'm supposed to give? More than what I've been giving? You mean, God, you're calling me to, to give uh, when I need the money myself and, uh, and you're telling me that, you know, these people talk about tithing and then they start saying, well, you know, we're supposed to be even to give more than the tithe. 
you know, to give offerings and to give into different things. And, and then Miss Amy's telling me I've got to give a 13 pound. And, you know, <laughs> well, that's only if you can't do the box yourself. And she does a pretty good job, I'll tell you. But I think we should be not looking at 50. We should be looking at 100. Because we can do more than one each anyway. And, um, but, uh, you know, the, the fact of, of what we're doing is sowing into children's lives and uh, we're going to see it come back. But there is times when we, we just say, no. I find it very interesting, you know, that one day Jesus himself, he was, he was in the temple and it says that he was sat watching the people bringing their tithe putting the money in. That's interesting, isn't it? He actually sat watching. And, and then he saw this little old lady come. And she just put a couple of coins in there. And then Jesus says to his disciples, she's put more in than anybody else. But she'd only put two coins in, two little coins. But you see what Jesus knew is that that is all that she had. And so it tells us that when we come to, uh, to give to God, God doesn't look at so much at how much we put in. He actually looks at what we've still got left. And when he could see this lady had nothing left. And of course we see that in the Old Testament, don't we, with the, the widow and uh, she just fed the prophet and she'd no no more food left for herself or for her son, but she was giving to the man of God, you know, what he, uh, he needed. But God then brought it back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, you see. And so it's the, that kind of principle. But um, we, as I say, we can have, we may not be just willfully disobeying, but sometimes it's reluctant obedience that's part of our thinking. And we're just a bit reluctant. It's not that we don't really want to, but, well, God will understand, won't he? But God always goes by his word, and he doesn't change, he doesn't alter his word in those things. And, um, but, of course, we find in the case of Jonah, as we'll see as we go through, that uh, an extension of his disobedience was anger. He really got angry with God. He couldn't work God out. Because... If you just think of it in the natural, he got, he's been told by God to bless the enemies by giving them the word. But in his natural thinking, he's saying, but you should be wiping these people out because they are causing us so much hassle. They're coming against us. They're trying to destroy Israel. And God, you're telling me to preach a message to them that you love them? And so he couldn't compute that. It didn't make sense. Because that would mean that if, if we're not going out to actually destroy these people ourselves, they're going to get stronger and stronger. And ultimately, they're going to take us over. You know, and there's some, in the people, some people in the churches that think the Muslims are going to take us over because they're growing so fast. That won't happen. Praise God. The church is still the fastest growing thing on the earth. It's just that maybe because we don't see it in this nation so much right now, but it's growing in South America. There's a revival, constant revival going on there. China in the underground church, there are thousands coming to Christ. Thousands 
every day. When Andrew was out there, and um, he, he said that, uh, you know, I think he preached to a few thousand pastors. And he did go to one place, and he refused to, uh, to preach to them because he knew the next day all of them would be in prison. And, and God told him to move to the west part of China. And he got to preach to thousands of pastors who then were putting the word back in. And, uh, and yet, you know, some of those pastors who are in prison, they're actually refusing to be released because they got church going in prisons. And it's growing and it's, you know, these pastors say, don't, you know, don't pray for us to come out. We got church. We got church going. And uh, so God does things in different ways to what we would think. But beloved, uh, just to close with, and I know we haven't got too much into the scriptures, but we will um, start going through these verses because there's so much for us. And I believe that God wants to bring miracles. He wants to bring us to a place where we can believe in for revival. Um, but basically, revival has got to start in us uh, before it's going to affect the town. We say that we can have an awakening, but the, the awakening is often a result of reviving God's people. Awakening is people being born again. And uh, we need to see that. But the ultimate is always transformation. And that means a town that is completely transformed from what it was to what God wants it to be. And there's all kinds of things going on in this town. And it's ripe for revival, if we will believe for it. You know, there's uh, helicopters flying over this town and things happening. And um, it's, it's amazing. The devil is doing his worst, but you know what? Grace is going to abound. Amen. He's going to do it through you and me. Starts with uh, our desire for it. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 5.17, you'll see the link here um, with uh, what we've been sharing about this beginning of Jonah. Uh, because, you know, there's always a practical reason why we are to be in the Scriptures. God wants to speak to us. He wants to begin to show us what his desire is, what his emphasis is. You see, God had been watching these Assyrians. He'd been seeing the wickedness. And he said, that wickedness has come to me. But God doesn't just go and zap these people. He actually goes to his, his man that he's got there, his prophet, and he says, this is my word to you, Jonah. And I'm sure today God is saying, I'm giving you, church, my word, and this is what I want you to do with it. And if we will respond, then we're going to see a people turn from darkness into the light. And it doesn't matter whether they're Muslim or whatever faith that they're into. God is looking for people who will go to them and present the truth and the gospel. And, you know, the reason that we spend so much time on what the gospel is you know, if that's all we do, oh yeah, that's what the gospel is. But if we don't put the gospel into practice, faith without works is dead, says James. He says, you show me your faith and I'll show you my works and you will see through my works where my faith is, you know. And, and that's the principle, really. I, I've talked to people who will talk to you about faith, they're into hyper-faith and the belief for this and that. And yet, 
you look at the life and say, well, where's the evidence? You can talk the talk, but you've got to walk the walk as well. Amen. But here in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, if you're born again this morning, that's you. All things have passed away. You don't have to worry about the past. Amen. What you've got to do is bring the future into your present. You know, all the good things that God has got in his word, the promises, you can bring that into the present and live according to the promises of God. And that's what we, we are called to do. But when we start thinking about the past, and I wish I hadn't done this, and well, you can't change the past. That's gone. And thank God that uh, those things are under the blood anyway. But then note this. Uh, Paul says, all this, verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so, in a sense, that that's what God was saying to Jonah. You have got the ministry of reconciliation, Jonah. I'm giving you my word. You can take my word to these people, present it to them, and bring them to me. Bring them to God. And so, the fact of you becoming a new creation and receiving the word of God into your heart is so that you can use that now. Uh, you know, so many Christians are sat in church and, oh, isn't it wonderful to be in Jesus? And, you know, but if that's all we're doing, blessing ourselves, of what value is that? You go to heaven, but nobody else does. But God's heart, you see, what I'm really trying to say through Jonah here is see the heart of God. I'm sure you and I would probably been just like Jonah said, there's no chance of going to those people. Wow. And how could God ever love a people like that are doing so many wicked things? And yet, you see, we were in that place ourselves before we got reconciled to God. The Word of God says about us, all of your righteousness was as filthy rags. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so we were in basically that same position. We may not have done all the evil things, and yet all of those things were keeping us out of the love of God. So now God says, and Paul says this to us, all the things that you have received have come from God. All the good things that you have in your life have come through him. And Christ actually was the one who reconciled you to Father God. And he now, through that, has given you the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that why Jesus went? As Jeremy in the prayer meeting yesterday said something, it was Jeremy or someone certainly did, the whole purpose in Jesus going to heaven was not to go away from us, but really to come to us. You see, it doesn't make sense in the natural. And, and I'm sure that those disciples were saying, you mean you're going to leave us? You know, when he told them that he was going to go to his father, and it must have been a bit of a shock. But the fact of him actually going was, was the fact of him actually coming to us in a personal way so he could indwell us. Because he said, the Father can't send the Spirit until I go to be with him. 
And as soon as the Lord had gone to be with the Father, of course, we find that shortly after that, the day of Pentecost comes, Holy Spirit comes and indwells the people. And now it's Christ living in us. And so that was the whole purpose that Jesus was saying that. And so, again, this incredible ministry now has been given to us. So now it's Christ in us. So Jesus isn't going to come down physically and and as he was physically, he could only be in one place at one time. If he was in Nazareth, he couldn't be in Capernaum at the same time. And therefore, he had to travel in that area. And of course, we know that he was accepted in the northern regions. Isn't it good to know that Jonah was a northern lad? And so was Nahum. Because Nahum was brought up in Capernaum. And good things come out of the north. Sorry about the southerners. <laughs> But he was a northern lad. But in the northern part of Israel is where he was accepted. Jesus was highly accepted in those areas. He was doing the miracles. But when he got down to Jerusalem and those Pharisees, they hated him. And so the southerners would have nothing to do with him. And of course, ultimately, he got crucified there in uh, Jerusalem. But praise God, we, we realize that... Uh, this reconciliation. Now Jesus is longing to come through us, beloved. He's longing for us to see that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And, and it doesn't, not every one of us has been given this. He isn't just saying this is for the pastors or for the evangelists or even for the Bible college students. He's saying every one of you has been given the ministry of reconciliation. You can draw someone to the Lord Jesus. You can tell them about his love for them. You know, he has given you this powerful ministry. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. <coughs> so really what God was saying to Jonah, I want you to go to these people in Nineveh, these are Syrians, yes, these evil people, and tell them that basically I am not counting their trespasses against them, but I am willing to forgive them if they will come and repent and turn to me. And Jonah couldn't work with that. He said, no way. That can't be right. And, uh, and sometimes we make excuses why we don't go and talk to people, but you know, it's reconciliation. You're just bringing someone back to where they should be. Everyone should be in the arms of God. Everyone should be his children. These children that you saw on the screen, you know, to see the joy on their faces. And that's what God is after. He's just after changing people's lives. And, you know, we were saying, uh, you know, about, you know, like Care Dewsbury and a um, lady who worked in there. She said, she says, we know. We know we're being taken for a ride, you know. A lot of these people are turning up. They had 40, I think, this week in Care Dewsbury. She says, we know we're take, being taken for a ride. You know, they're coming for what they can get. But she said, but if there's just one or two that make it through, I said, yes. And um, praise God, there's history of that. You know, some that have responded and and, and that's what it's for. The others are being given the opportunity. And everybody has a right to hear the gospel. 
You know, we should be there to do that. So, beloved, keep these in, things in mind as we continue through this incredible book. And uh, as I say, uh, um, it's something that you can read through pretty quick. It's interesting, you see, Jonah doesn't actually bring a prophetic message. You know, when you read uh, one of the prophets, you're expecting to get a prophetic word. But this is really about Jonah, the prophet, when you read it. But God is using that book to tell us where his heart is and what he expects of us as well. What he was expecting of Jonah. And, uh, and in the process of doing all of that, God says, I am prepared to do miracles among you. Just to show you this full picture of my love. And, uh, and we'll see, we'll go through some of these eight incredible miracles that take place. And you know, the one the greatest one is the one that you would least think of as being the greatest miracle. I'm not going to tell you which one that is. If you've heard Mr. Pawson, who's a great Bible teacher, you will know. I heard it years ago and it came back to me. And the more you think about it, you think, hmm, yeah. You'd think it'd be being swallowed by a big fish or a whale. We don't know it was a whale, but... It was a big fish anyway. It had to be a big fish to swallow a man. But, um, but that isn't the greatest one. That wasn't the greatest miracle. Praise God. So we'll leave you with that one. Amen. You can go through. You can read it for yourself. And maybe you have an idea of what that might be. But beloved, we want to say this morning that the same God who does these miracles, he's here. Uh, he's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of churches. But he does need churches to believe his word. And if we'll do that, then God will do the rest. Amen. Father, we just thank you this morning. We thank you that you are a great God. We thank you that you are a miracle-working God. We thank you that you are for us and not against us. And Father, that in these days when time does seem to be coming to an end, Lord, even as we know it, that, that this is the time that your great love and reconciliation message is going out and we praise you for those that have responded that we know of but Lord we know that there's so many in this town and we pray for our town we pray for churches together tonight we pray that people will be taken up even with the thought of the possibility that you might just be bringing revival to a town that is so in need father we believe Lord that this is your will since the day of Pentecost, your purpose has been for your Holy Spirit to come and infill people and to be about your work and about your business. And Father, we know that the enemy is raging, but Lord God, we thank you that you are causing your people to rise up with uh, that vision to see people's lives changed, children's lives changed, young people uh, seeking you. And so we honor you, Lord, in this place, and we say, Father God, have your will amongst us. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information, please check out www.jewsbygospelchurch.org.uk.